Hear now the word of God. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's ask him to do that. Lord, would you expose our hearts tonight to the light of your word? Would you send your spirit to convict us, to build us up, and to show in a positive way what your vision for husbands and wives is really supposed to be? And then would you help us to live that reality out? In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. When I was growing up, and I think this is probably true for all of you or most of you, uh, husbands and fathers were not very beloved in the popular culture. Um, You had uh, on television men like Al Bundy. You will know that name depending on your generation. Al Bundy, a very angry father, annoyed with his children. Uh, Didn't seem to like his wife very much either. Uh, he functioned mostly as a human ATM, giving out of his out-of-control children money to run around so they would just leave him alone. Uh, you had Homer Simpson, right, who is still around and probably shouldn't be, uh, who is an utter buffoon, truly an, an awful husband and father on every level, even though he made the audience laugh. And when I look back on my childhood and I think of the truly good television fathers, the truly good television husbands, I feel like the only one that I could think of was on the Cosby show. And now that's been ruined for all of us too. So that's where I'm at. Not a lot of good television fathers. And usually it's, it's typical in churches where there's a Mother's Day sermon, there's a Father's Day sermon sometimes. And when Father's Day, when they do get their sermon, it's usually to berate the husbands and to berate the fathers for the ways they failed and fallen short in the past year and sort of praise the mothers for how wonderful they are. And I don't really want to do that. I really don't feel like it's fair to have a passage where you sort of uh, address the women in glowing terms and then you sort of tear the men apart. And I don't think that's what Peter's doing here, not in the least bit. Um, now, we, we saw last week that, that being a wife is no walk in the park, especially in the sort of situation that Peter is, is dealing with, because being a wife involves submission, and it involves submission sometimes in situations that are difficult. But we also talked about the fact, um, some of you weren't here, but we talked about the fact the wife is not meant to be a doormat. She's not meant to be walked all over by her husband. And yet at the same time, being a wife involves dying to yourself, sacrificing your priorities in favor of your family and in favor of your husband. And so being a wife isn't easy. However, that problem does go both ways. I suppose what I'm saying is that just as it isn't easy to be a wife, it isn't easy to be a husband. And I'd like to suggest tonight the call to be a godly husband is just as important as the call to be a godly wife, and that is no less, it's no less difficult to live up to that calling. Being a godly wife involves submission often when the husband is a difficult buffoon. But the husband is called in our passage tonight to be the sort of person that a wife would want to submit to. And that is often an even greater challenge. 
And so there are three things that should define a husband's relationship to his wife, at least in our passage tonight. Uh, Last week, we sort of restrained ourselves from going all over the Bible to find commands for women and wives. And instead, we sort of stuck with the text. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We could go to other places to look at God's commands for husbands, but instead, we will just stay put. We'll see what Peter wants us to know tonight. And so the three things that should define a husband's relationship to his wife are understanding, honor, and prayer. So first, Peter calls husbands to be understanding. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, here's, some, here's an interesting fact. If you have a bulletin and if you looked at the outline for the sermon this evening and you looked at the main point, that main point is actually not a correct main point. When I originally wrote this, that was the main point I had settled on. And as I worked on the passage, as I looked at the passage, and especially that command to be understanding, I changed my mind about what husbands are supposed to be understanding about. Because if you read the main point I wrote before, I said husbands are called not to dominate or control, but to honor, understand, and love their wives. And as I studied the passage, I came to believe that's not entirely what Peter's saying here. So that's an outdated main point, and I forgot to change it. So, but here's what I want you to see here. This phrase, according to knowledge, is what the Greek says. So instead of understanding, the Greek just says they're to love their wives according to knowledge. And if you remember, last week we talked about how reverence that wives are supposed to show is a reverence toward God. It's not reverence for her husband. A wife's not supposed to reverence her husband. A wife is supposed to fear God. She's supposed to submit to her husband because she fears God, not because she fears her husband. And so women don't submit because they fear their husband. They submit because they fear God. And there is a similar phrase here for the men. When it says according to knowledge, The idea here is that husbands don't treat their wives in a godly way because they just know their wives so well. That's actually where I was going at first. I thought, well, Peter is saying that we really need to understand our wives. But I believe that what he's actually saying is we should know God. We should be understanding, not towards our wives, but towards God. We need to have knowledge of God. If you are going to live with your wife in an understanding way, means to live with her in a godly way that knows what God demands. So, so our wives know us in all our imperfections, but at the end of the day, they should be able to look at our lives and say, the law of God and the grace of Christ has changed this man. I can see that this is a person who loves God. That's what Peter's getting at. And in the last week, I talked about the attitude of Peter's culture toward women, which was not kind. Uh, And we talked about the fact that for the Greeks, it was really common to believe that women were not only intellectually inferior, but that they were morally inferior too. And so for the Greeks, the best friend a woman can have is a strong husband who's domineering and who can keep her from sort of wandering off the path. Um. There was a Greek thinker named Plutarch, and Plutarch just openly said in his writings, a woman shouldn't have friends. She should, she should just have her husband who decides everything for her. That's what Plutarch said. He said, why does a woman need friends if she has a husband to control her? Um, which I, that just would go over really well today. Um, 
And Peter tonight is pushing back against this idea of the culture we saw last week. For Peter, a wife is not something to be owned, but she is a fellow image bearer to be cared for and well-loved. Paul does something very similar in Ephesians 5.25, because there he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And I remember when R.C. Sproul talked about this passage, he says the call for a wife to submit to her husband is difficult, especially depending on the man. But that pales in comparison to what a husband is actually called to. Because husbands have this terrifying call to love, not just to endure and not just to love, but to love the way Jesus loves. Nobody has ever done that in the history of the world Except Jesus. Jesus is the only person who's ever loved the way Jesus loves. And yet as husbands, we are called to that. It's like if someone came to me and said, Adam, you need to do uh, the world's first 100 foot pole vault. Uh, Actually, if they told me to do any kind of jumping, that would be enough of a challenge, I think. Um, But if they came to you with that, you would know, hey, I'm going to fail, but I know what I'm aiming for. I know what I'm trying for. The standard is set. The target's there. It's just a matter of aiming for it and trying for it. So husbands are called to be understanding. You know, men can be difficult. And there's a flip side to that, which is women who are sinners can be difficult too. Uh, And so The call that Peter sets forth here, the call that Paul sets forth, it's not conditional. Peter doesn't say, husbands, be understanding as long as your wives are easy to get along with. And he also doesn't say, submit to your husbands as long as they're they're good and they do everything they're supposed to do. No, Peter says, even if your wife never shows that quiet, gentle spirit I talked about in the last verse, you must still love her and you must still live with her with the sort of understanding that God gives. And so our first point tonight is that husbands should have a godly understanding of God that shows in how we relate to our wives. Second, this evening, Peter says husbands should give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Uh, There's a certain someone in here, and every time I ever mention this verse, she just, man, she just makes the face, the face that you make when you don't like something. Uh, And uh, this reference to the woman as the weaker vessel is a general truth. It's not always true. It's a general truth about the physical differences between men and women. And even that is a general truth that could be proven wrong in some cases. Um, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half, maybe, maybe two months ago, uh, Aaron and I started going and working out at Planet Fitness. And we go and do this fitness routine that's really rigorous and it leaves us bushed and we can't move when it's all done. And there's this one thing, and if you work out, you know what I'm talking about, the rope things. And you're supposed to flick the ropes up and down, you know. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't do that for a minute straight. And yet I'm supposed to be able to do it for a minute straight. So I'm standing there. <sighs> After 30 seconds, I have to give it a 10-second break. Meanwhile, I go around and Aaron's over there. <sighs> one minute straight, doesn't even stop. Okay. So here I am. I'm confessing to you now. It's not always true that women are weaker. Sometimes they're stronger. She's better at the ropes than me. I think I can still lift more than her. We'll see. I have to, have to prove it, I guess. 
But Peter's making a general rule here, right? It's a general rule. And this is the place for us to remember what Peter's agenda is. Why would he even mention? Why would he even mention the woman being the weaker vessel? And I think it would be fair for wives reading Paul's letter to say, hey, why all these instructions for us? Why do we get multiple verses and the, hus- and the husbands get one verse? Are you just oppressing us? And the reality is this letter is written for people who are experiencing oppression and people who are living under authorities. And he's helping them to know how do we live like that? How do we live in these difficult situations? And so it makes sense that he would address the wives more here. He has more to say to them. They likely face more oppression at the hands of men, especially in a Greek culture that treats women and sees women the way that the Greek culture did. And so remembering Peter's agenda, I think, helps us understand why there isn't as much here for husbands and why there is more for the wives. But Peter also says this, give honor to the wife. You get hung up on the weaker vessel part and we miss the command. The command is give honor to the wife. And I think in part, Peter is advocating for what we would call gentlemanly protection. Gentlemanly protection. She, she may be physically weaker than you, but that doesn't mean you rule the roost. It means that you as the man have physical power. You have bone density that is thicker. You may have more muscle. You may have more physical mass. And yet you are not supposed to be like an ogre who is like a monstrous individual toward your wife. I, I really, I pray it isn't necessary for me to say this. I said something similar last week, but husbands who strike their wives or strike their children, husbands who use their size and use their strength and exert domination and cruelty belong in jail and should be dealt with by the civil magistrate. And they should be dealt with on a spiritual level by the church too. But just as I mentioned last week, Peter is not telling women to be a doormat under the feet of an abusive man. And so this week, I think Peter is in part telling men that they have a duty to rein in their physical strength and to show nurturing, loving guidance and honor to their wives. Because your wife is a fellow image bearer who has a very real sense of and a very real sense been brought under your protection. Now, there are practical ways husbands can show honor to their wives. There are, of course, gentlemanly displays like opening the door for her. I told my wife, I opened the door for my wife. We went to Schlotzky's for lunch the other day, and uh, and she said, what are you doing? (laughs) I said, well, I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, (laughs) So we'll see how long I can keep it up for. Uh, Opening the door for her, uh, making sure she has a seat before you do. Um, The sort of things that a gentleman is supposed to do. I know you're not supposed to hold doors for women anymore, supposedly. Uh, I know you're not supposed to do all these things, and you can maybe get slapped if you do it in public, but you should still open the doors for ladies anyway, all right? Peter says they're weaker vessels. They they might get mad at you, but just do it. Be a gentleman. Um, But listen, one important way to show show honor to your wife is not just opening doors. Speak honorably of your wife before your children. Build your wife up in the eyes of your children. Tell your children how wonderful your wife is and how wonderful their mother is. A husband who tears his wife down, 
especially in the eyes of her children, does not honor her. He dishonors her. Another way to honor your wife is to thank her, praise her when she does something good, especially something you take for granted. I am very guilty of not doing this. This is a sermon just full of confessions. Um, My wife keeps our home so well, and I will come home, take all she did for granted, and never think to thank her. Happens all the time. Meanwhile, if I do the dishes once, I kind of look around like, nothing. I want a ticker tape parade. I want someone to come in and applaud me. I, I'm looking for something here, and, and there's nothing. Uh, didn't you notice I did the dishes? And, and I would say this is doubly important, doubly important in a home where the wife works outside the home. Uh, if your wife gets home at five or six, just like you, and suddenly she feels pressure to deliver the same dining experience that a stay-at-home wife is able to bring, That is incredibly difficult. Honoring and understanding your wives means you should probably be jumping in there and helping. Especially when you can see her nerves are frayed. She's not doing great. She's not feeling great about how life is going. She's not feeling great about how the family's being run right now. She's had a hard day at work. All the pressure's been building. It means not complaining and giving her grief when that does happen. If she's lagging behind, it's an indicator she needs your help, not that she needs your criticism. So you can honor your wife by praying for her, too. It's another way you can honor your wife. Pray for her in person. Pray for her at bedtime. Pray for her if you see that she's having a hard time, that she's distraught. Pray for her there in her physical presence. But then when you are out and about throughout the day, pray for her. Think about what she's doing right now and pray for her. All right. When you take the time When you pray for your wife, even if she's not there, you're actually doing spiritual good for her. You're actually doing things for her, kind of like God does this for, for, for Israel. He's stopping Balaam from cursing them. They don't even know it. As a husband, you can honor your wife by being out and about, and you can spiritually bless your wife just by praying for her, thinking about what she's doing, thinking about what's on her mind, thinking about what she's loaded down with, and you can take that load off of her. She won't even know it. She'll just go, why did I have such a great day? She'll have no idea you were praying for her. Um, This also goes for reading scripture with your wife. Take time to read the Bible with your wife and show her honor. Show her that her spiritual needs actually matter. Show her that that you remember she stands before God and she needs spiritual food. This is a good time to mention the other reason Peter says we should honor our wives because Peter says something else. He says, showing honor to the woman since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This fact should drive us as husbands. It should motivate us as husbands. It should be the reason why we do these things. Women and men are spiritually equal before God. We are all inheritors of the grace of God. And that means that fundamentally and truly men and women are equal. We share the same destiny. We share the same inheritance. Um, There's no notion of men getting a greater gift of life in the last day. Does that mean we all have the same callings? Does that mean we're supposed to do the exact same things? No, it doesn't. But we don't do what God calls us to do because this is a competition. We do this because we are a team. We do what we do as those that love each other and love God. Husbands, honor your wives. Honor your wives. 
And finally this evening, Peter says that prayer should define the life of a husband. And in particular, he mentions the second motivator for treating our wives with honor and living with them with understanding. First, he says, because she's your equal and co-heir of the grace of Christ. We just saw that. But now he gives a second reason. He says, doing so will keep our prayers from being hindered. The word hindered here is a strong word. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 15 when he says he can't get to Rome. He says, I'm physically incapable of getting to Rome. He says, I was hindered. It's the same word Paul uses for for Christians who are kept from the heavenly kingdom because of false teaching. See, Peter is saying, if you don't do this, if you don't treat your wife in a godly way, if you don't honor your wife, your prayers will be separated from God by an ocean. And it will be an ocean of your own sin in this matter. And listen to the core assumption Peter makes, though. He assumes something. He assumes that you are a man of prayer. He assumes that you are praying. Think about what prayer is. Prayer is a declaration of our own inability. Prayer is a declaration of all the things we can't do for ourselves, for our wives, for our home, for our family, for our church, For our nation, all the things we are helpless about, that is what we pray about. And Peter says that prayer should characterize the life of a godly husband, the sort of man he is talking about tonight. In many, many, many ways, a praying man is very different than the sort of macho, Greco-Roman, controlling, dominating husband, dominating man that would have been exalted in Peter's day. Sort of man of action. Why do I need to pray? I can do. Because a godly man does the opposite. He says, I'm not in control. I don't have power. But I know that the God of the universe does. And I'm going to go to him. Maybe you remember the story of Samson. But one of the truths of Samson's life is that on his own, apart from God, He might as well be a scrawny, tiny weakling. We always think of Samson as being this gigantic, muscular fellow. And yet the passage never, ever says that he's some giant Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking bodybuilder. Sorry, the rock-looking bodybuilder. I keep forgetting this is not the 90s. Uh, uh, It was God who was Samson's strength. And for a Christian man... This is true for us. Our strength isn't in us. It doesn't come from us. That's why we pray. But God will not hear the prayers of a domineering, prideful, dismissive man who shows his hatred of God either by abusing his family, dishonoring his wife, or refusing to pray. Christ gave the example for us. He had power, he had authority. He had the strength. He could have called legions of angels to do his bidding at any moment. And yet he did not take that power that he had. He set it aside and he laid his life down and he served and he let himself be walked over. Husbands have physical strength. But at every point, that strength is only in the service of our wife's Good, never as a threat, never something to control by fear. 
Because remember, ultimately, each of us stands alone before God. Wives will have to answer to God for their own submission to their husband, and they're told so to do so because they fear God, not their husband. The wife ultimately answers to God. And just like we saw last week at the end of the day, a man doesn't answer to his wife for how he lives either. Ultimately, we as husbands must answer to God for how we ruled our home as well. Have we ruled with godly understanding? Have we treated our wives honorably? Have we faced the important spiritual responsibilities that God gives to us? Have we loved our wives in a self-sacrificial way? Have we prayed for her? Have we looked out for her? If not, we will stand before God, not our wife, and give an answer. And our prayers, to say the least, will be hindered. We have to remember marriage is designed, it's purposed, and put in place by God to create a picture of Christ's relationship to his people. So when a marriage is functioning well, when it is functioning the way that God intends, then the husband will reflect God in the relationship. Uh, When we honor our wives, we reflect the honor that Christ shows to his church by laying his life down for her and saying, you before me. When we pray for her, when we look after her spiritual good, we're reflecting Jesus who forever lives to pray for his people and he cares about our souls. And the wife likewise will reflect what the church is supposed to be. When she submits to her husband, she tells the watching world that beautiful truth that the church listens to her Lord and she obeys her Lord. And when she focuses on the heart and when she refuses to focus on her appearance, which we saw last week, She tells the world that what is in here is the thing that God wants most for his church. Not fancy buildings, not not expensive trimmings. Christian, what God has done for his people and for his church is beautiful and remarkable and stunning. Let's make that plain in the way that we live together as husbands and wives and families. Let's pray. Lord, the family is your design. You came up with the idea of husbands and wives. You looked at Adam and you said, it is not good. It is not good for him to be alone. And because this is your design and because this is your plan, help us to receive it from you. Help us to treasure it and believe it and live that plan out. We cannot do it without your strength. And so we ask you to do so in Christ's name. Amen.